What's up, everybody? This is another episode of the JTS Podcast. My name is Marcus Money, alongside my partners, Hagen Cook and Gabe Jones. Hopefully, everybody's having a wonderful day, evening, morning, whenever you are going to listen to this podcast, as we are still stationed in three different locations as of right now, playing it safe because we're still in a pandemic. COVID-19 is still fighting pretty hard, but the battle is not over. We can still fight this battle and win. But play it safe, follow protocols correctly, and let's get through this. But we're going to talk about the NBA first as a uh, little first little part of our show. And uh, a lot, actually quite a bit of the, this NBA side of it is going to be with one of our partner, my partner Patton, his go-to team. They did, they did a little dancing uh, on, around and moving around. So we're going to start off with uh, Kevin Porter. Kevin Porter, he got traded to the Houston Rockets for a second round pick, but something happened beforehand. And I think Padme has a little more details on that. Yeah, before we get into the good stuff uh, for the Cavs, we kind of got, got to tear them down a little bit first. And Kevin Porter Jr., a uh, first round draft pick that we drafted last season and had a, a pretty good rookie campaign. And went out on the floor of the of the three rookies that we drafted he was the last one picked and really he showed the most potential out of any of them and I I really enjoyed watching him on the floor but this offseason and kind of during this COVID period probably hit him worse than than most just in terms of uh, his mental health and, and stuff like that he um, got in trouble uh, uh, it, it, with the with the law, if you will. Got into a car accident where he had guns in the car. They're all registered under his names, but uh, they were loaded, and that kind of didn't uh, look the greatest. Then then there was an allegation that he uh, punched a woman, uh, I believe, two years ago that came up this past summer, which those charges ended up being dropped. And then finally, uh, just the Cavaliers thought it'd be best for him to kind of take a leave of absence away from the basketball court. So. He, he wasn't really involved with the Cavaliers this entirety of the preseason, uh, even in training camp. He didn't really get involved that much. It was more him at home kind of training away from, from the team because he had some stuff he had to work through. And as a young man who just joined an NBA basketball team during a pandemic, it was it's never going to be easy for anyone. But right now for Kevin Porter, it's kind of hit him the worst. And Really, what really set the Cavaliers over the edge was um, something pretty minor and something that, as a Cavs fan myself, you just hate to see. And, of course, we made the trade for uh, Torian Prince and uh, Jared Allen uh, from the Brooklyn Nets. And Torian Prince ended up getting uh, Kevin Porter Jr.'s locker just because Kevin hadn't really been his first game back to to Cleveland was them against the New York Knicks. Uh, that was a week ago. So this was his first time being in the facilities, his locker room, his locker wasn't being used. And because of COVID protocols and such, you got to space out the lockers and there's a limited number of roster uh, lockers available. And they ended up giving Torian Prince that, I, I believe what I read from kind of a seniority uh, at standpoint, if you will, he's kind of right in the middle right in terms of the other veterans and Kevin Porter kind of got moved to the side where the other younger players are. It, it wasn't like they sent him out in the hall and he's got to uh, dress in, in the bathroom or anything like that. But just in terms of uh, kind of antics, it wasn't great. And when Kevin Porter kind of walked in and saw it, from what I understood, he didn't know it was going to happen until he came in and saw his locker was replaced. And that really just sent him over 
over the top, got into a, a throwing match, a food fight, if you will, and that brought in GM Kobe Altman, who's kind of been rehabilitate, rehabilitating this kid for the past couple of seasons. He gave Kevin Porter this opportunity because he was really dropping in the draft because in terms of the talent, there's very few players that are like him, but in terms of character, he had some stuff to grow on from USC, and for Kobe Altman, he just kind of felt betrayed because um, from what I have read and kind of seen on TV, Kevin wasn't the uh, the nicest kind of throwing and, and grudge match and shouting match to GM Kobe Altman, and that's really sent them over the edge, and that was the final straw to ultimately them trading the, the young man to Houston, and it's a, a really sad situation, but ultimately the statement that, that was just put out by the Cavaliers is ultimately they want the best for Kevin and they just feel like they can't give it to him because they tried everything they can. And it just seems like nothing was working. And he, sometimes you just got to move on. And for me as a Cavaliers fan, I hope, I hope he does great in, uh, in Houston, but here in Cleveland, it just wasn't going to work out. I don't think. Yeah. I thought that uh, things would sour really quick for Kevin, uh, but a fresh start with a new team, a young team at that, where you can come in and fit right in very quickly. Then also you got somebody like PJ Tucker, a veteran uh, who's been there for quite some time. You bump heads with him, uh, it's, it's gonna be a little altercation coming through. I don't think you wanna do that, but Kevin Porter, I think if you follow under suit with PJ Tucker, you're gonna be in some good hands. You're gonna lead him in the right direction and this can be a what is a shining moment for him, even though it looks really bad after getting traded from your the, the team that you got drafted to. It could be a good sign for him moving forward if he changes things around. That's the one thing he himself has to change those things for outcomes to be different. Absolutely, and and for Kevin and for Houston, they've just got to hope that John Lucas, who's kind of been the forefront at kind of rehabilitating guys he's been one of the better and I think that's why the Cavs sent him over to Houston because they genuinely do care about him and they hope that he can get the help he needs but it's got to start with Kevin no one else can do it other than him and the Cavs kind of a, a fail fail situation for them because they traded four first round draft picks or four second round I should say to get back into that first round a, a couple of years ago and ultimately they only get a protected second round draft pick if it's anything lower than uh, the 55th overall pick it'll go straight back to Houston so really the Cavaliers the only thing they got out of this is they uh, don't have to pay the salary of Kevin Porter it's going straight to Houston nothing in terms of that so it helps them out in terms of if they need to get a trade for Andre Drummond or a, a Kevin Love they can kind of take in a bad contract if you will in this position but a bad situation for the Cavs. Houston, they got a lot of upside in this one. You can't really, you're not giving much up, if at all, for a really a star in the making if you can get the, the attitude right. But it's all got to start with the, with the young man, Kevin Porter Jr. All right. And we're going to switch things up just a little bit and talk about uh, the Cavs team. They did, uh, they had, there was a part of this trade because, you know, James Harden got traded from Houston to Brooklyn and then. And those first couple games, he uh, looked pretty good. Had a couple triple doubles. And then, so we're going to talk about how we uh, thought about this newly newlywed squad of the Brooklyn Nets, how they're doing with these first couple games. Because actually the first game 
of the trio with Kyrie coming back was actually last game against Haddon's Cleveland Cavaliers. And the Cavaliers won in double overtime with Colin Sexton dropping 42. Gabe, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. The first game where the trio happened of the Brooklyn Nets. All right, well, first of all, Colin Sexton is that dude. That is my boy. Uh, one of my homies let me know about him uh, before he committed to Alabama, went to Alabama, didn't really have much talent around him, but he showed up and he showed out. Uh, he played one game where it was like, what, what, three on five? Yeah, and he yeah just I was against Minnesota. Out. Did they win that game? I can't remember whether yeah. they won that game or not, but it was close. I think that they won. Yeah, he, he just balled out. But anyways, this guy is a hooper. Um, he had somewhat of a slower development kind of next to his peers and Trey Young, Luka Doncic, guys like that. Um, but it seems like he's come he's coming to the party. Uh, he's averaging about 24, 25 points so far this year. And in this game, he showed what he could do. I mean, he basically couldn't miss, especially from the fourth quarter on. He was hitting everything, three-point jumpers. He hit the shot to take them into the second overtime. Everything. He, he couldn't be stopped. Um, as far as this Brooklyn trio of James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, first half of the game, Kyrie, he couldn't miss. I think he shot eight for ten in the first half of the game. Kevin Durant, of course, he's just the steady bucket. He just drops buckets. Every game that he's played with James Harden, I think he's dropped 30. James Harden in the games that he played with KD before Kyrie came, he dropped 30 in a couple triple doubles. In this game, he had 21. He didn't shoot that much. So we're seeing these guys have to figure out how to gel together and um, figure out their positions. It's like, uh, excuse me. It seems like James Harden is going to be the facilitator of this team, as he should be. He's the better passer, but he's also, quote unquote, a better scorer than James Harden. But the thing is, Kyrie can light that thing up, too. So they're just figuring out where guys are going to get their shots. My question would be, if you have all three of those guys out on the floor, when are anybody else, when is anybody else going to get a shot? Because if you got Kevin Durant, James Harden, uh, Kyrie Irving, if KD doesn't get a shot, if Kyrie doesn't get a shot, then James Harden should get a shot. So where are those other shots going to come from? And then we saw their defense. They they can't really get stops. They're going to have to beat teams by outscoring them. So um, it's going to be this. This is a great big three, but I'm I'm excited to see how it shakes out for the guys. Uh, Padden, how did you feel about your team actually getting the win over this big three? I got to say, this is one of this is the first time since LeBron left that uh, the Cavaliers have gotten some national attention for not something like the Kevin Porter Jr. situation. It's it's kind of been weird. It's been fun. And that game as an as a whole was just really fun to watch because the Cavs, it, it just felt like every possession they had to score. And that's exactly what they had to do, especially in the fourth quarter. They had like a nine point lead going into the fourth. And then you just knew whenever Brooklyn started making a shot or two, they're going to go on a roll because they made their first 10 shots in that first quarter. And then in the fourth, they did the exact same thing for the Cavs. They knew they had to do it and they kept doing it. And that was a fun aspect for me was just watching Colin Sexton, who, as Gabe mentioned, 
he's gotten better each and every year that his rookie year, he had 17 points per game. And then his second season last year was averaging about 21 this season. He's at that 24 to 25. And that's all you can ask for a young point guard is to get better each year and year out. And right now he's doing that. And he's also averaging about two or three more assists a game in his third season as well. So the Cavs, they got, they got a bright future right now, but there's still a lot to go. Um, this game isn't going to crown them by any means, but I think this is like a, maybe a bit of a, a changing of the guard, if you will, just to think that these are games that we can be competitive in. Maybe we don't win all of these sort of games, but if you can kind of stay close and just know that you aren't far off from making it into the postseason and playing a potential Brooklyn Nets team uh, for a potential seven-game series, who knows? But for me, it was a fun game for the Cavs in terms of Brooklyn. First off, I'd like to say my uh, Kevin Durant MVP pick is looking pretty good right now. I, I, I can't say anything bad about what Kevin Durant has done this season. From, for a guy coming off an Achilles injury, he doesn't, he doesn't look at like it at all. He hasn't been rusty, I don't feel like, in one game this season. And in that game against Cleveland, he had a quiet 37. And that's just, that just kind of shows the talent that Kevin Durant has. Now, for Brooklyn as a whole, it, it felt a bit like a, you take the ball, I get the ball, you take the ball. I, it, it just didn't seem like there was much flow offensively. Granted, they still scored uh, well over 130 points. So that kind of just goes to show that even though the flow offensively wasn't there, they're still going to score an abundance of points. But to Gabe's point, you got to get those others involved. How, like Stack says on Inside the NBA, you, you know you're going to need that Joe Harris three-pointer to, to win a game in the playoffs. And if you can start doing that in the regular season, that kind of just builds on it. So for me, Brooklyn offensively doesn't seem to be a problem. Now defensively, I think that's really where they're going to hurt because Colin was just going at Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. They sent all three at him in, in different aspects in that fourth quarter and overtime. And None of it was really working, and that's going to be a bit of an issue if if one guy is going to start to take over games. Granted, that was their first time, so uh, communication defensively wasn't there, but Steve Nash has got a, his work cut out for him on the defensive end because you can score as many points as you want, but when you've got statistically uh, the Cavs were the worst offensive team in the league, and they shot their best percentage in well over a decade in, in that game from three-pointer and from the field. So the Nets have got some work to do defensively. I just was going to say that coming into this game, the Cavaliers were the worst offense in basketball, and they dropped 147. Colin Sexton had 15 points in that double overtime. Colin Sexton also had like 20 of the last 25 points for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Somebody for the Brooklyn Nets has to say, okay, I'm going to step up, play some defense, and stop this guy. He hit everything. Whenever they needed a clutch bucket, Colin Sexton was the guy. It didn't matter. Kyrie. We all know that Kyrie is not is not a his name is not known for defense. James Harden, he led the league in steals, but we all know that his name is not known for defense. Kevin Durant, even though he's he's a seven foot sniper offensively, we all know that he 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 doesn't have no all uh, defense on uh, on his resume. We got three guys who are outstanding. Don't get me wrong. Those guys can give you 30 every night. They combined for 100 points. Just those three guys alone. And they still couldn't win against one of the worst teams offensively. We saw before Kyrie came, 
Vucevic, they struggled against the Magic. Vucevic had 32. And it was like he had a double over 32 and I believe 12. Anybody with a low plus presence can kill them because all you have to do is get DeAndre Jordan foul trouble. And the next center will be Jeff Green at what, six, seven. That is what Shaq will say barbecue chicken alert for a lot of big men. So with Brooklyn, when you go, when they go to the small ball and you don't have those perimeter defenders, it's, it's tough. It's just tough, plain and simple. Yeah, and one thing for me, they better hope that they don't have to play the 76ers in the playoffs because how Joel Embiid is playing right now, that's going to be an issue. I don't care if it's DeAndre Jordan or Wilt Chamberlain, just how they're playing right now from the low ball. But I would look for them to be pretty active in the free agent market. There's some of these kind of veteran guys are going to be cut here pretty soon that that they're just going to need to pick up because – uh, DeAndre Jordan, he's not the, the L.A. Clippers uh, Lob City DeAndre that we know now. He, he's a, a serviceable uh, centerpiece, but right now defensively, he's just not one of the better ones that you need when you've got three other guys who, if they could help it, would not try the hardest on the defensive end. I think they're going to end up getting it worked out because I think what you saw in that fourth quarter was them playing defense, and that shot that Colin Sexton made in the first overtime – that's great defense by Kyrie Irving. So there's not a whole lot he could do in that aspect. But I think when it gets into the playoff time, I think they'll try. And I think James Harden has shown he, he's a he's not as bad of a defender as I originally thought a few years back when the effort just wasn't there. And one thing for James Harden, I said that out of the three guys, only one of them, uh, Kevin Durant, was willing to sacrifice. In these first couple of games, I've seen James Harden sacrificing. He had two shots in that first half. That, to me, tells me that he's, he's willing – to do whatever it takes to win a ring. And, and to me, he's kind of won me over in about three games. The Nets are fun to watch. They're a fun team to kind of look out for. And right now, they're one of the leaders in the East, them. And I think the 76ers have got a great chance. But in terms of the East, I think this is the, 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 the most stacked it has been in, in, in a, quite a few years as well. Um, to Harden's credit, I would say – to Harden's credit, I would say that he should be the most willing to sacrifice. Not that he's not the second play best player, quote unquote, depending on how you feel about Kyrie, but he's the guy without a ring. Kevin Durant has a ring. Kyrie Irving has a ring. He is hungry, thirsting for a ring. So he is willing to do whatever it takes to do so. So I think we will see that sacrifice from James Harden. Um, once again, I think the Nets' biggest problem, obviously, if they can keep their chemistry together, is just their defense. If they can pick up a big man, maybe do something and acquire a P.J. Tucker-like player or someone even bigger on the inside, then they'll be fine. Um, but, yeah, what, what were you saying, Marcus? Go ahead. You got guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid. You got to even worry about – Jalen Brown getting to the basket, getting to the rim whenever they want to. You're going to need a rim protector if you are Brooklyn. And you, you can't – the small ball hasn't worked. We, we've seen it a lot in these past years with Houston, with Phoenix. The small ball – the small ball doesn't work. So, if you're going – if I'm going to say this and then I'm, we're going to send it to a quick break. You can't – keep looking at this problem where it's two plus two and trying to make it equal to five. That is the definition of insanity. So, hey, Steve Nash, you got a lot on your hands. 
But, hey, you can't go to the Antonio route because as we saw in the past, it hasn't really worked. But it's still possible for you to try to change things up. But don't look at it as two plus two equals five. That's all I got to say. But we're going to send it to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about these past few games and then also uh, for the NFL and the playoffs. Yeah, we're talking about the playoffs still. And then also a couple of retirements that happened in the NFL as well. We'll be back back here with more Just Talking Sports. Hey, yo, welcome back. Uh, we're going to get right into it. And we're going to start with some more somber news. Dun, dun, dun. We had a couple <laughs> retirements. We'll start with, I guess, the marquee retirement, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, young Philip Rivers. Um, he is done. His career in the NFL is done. He is going to either or both be a commentator and coach a football team down in Alabama. So good luck to him. Uh, guys, what are your feelings on Phillip Rivers? Do you agree that Phil Rivers is a Hall of Famer? Because I, I think that he's a Hall of Famer, no question. Whether first ballot or not, that would be the question. But to be honest, he should get in before Eli Manning. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Marcus, what, Dave, what are we talking about? that was – that was a little shot just because Eli has those two rings. The main suck. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do think that Phillip Rivers uh, will be a Hall of Famer. And it's always funny to bring up because whenever you bring up Phillip Rivers' career, then you'll say uh, it's Eli Manning. Th those, two, those two careers will always be brought up just because Phillip Rivers – he didn't have much playoff success, and he only went to one AFC championship game. And when, when he went to that AFC championship game, he had a torn ACL and torn meniscus. So he wasn't even fully healthy because he had tore it. He actually tore it the week before. So he wasn't fully healthy, didn't get a shot at getting to try to get a ring or get close to a ring. But he still had a pretty stellar career while he was with the Chargers. And even this last year uh, – he didn't have a bad uh, a bad season this year, even though they came up short. The Colts was, was really close. They they played close to those Buffalo Bills, and they had a shot to win the game, I will say, uh, this year. And also to bring up in Colts history, uh, he is number two now uh, with the total offense in Colts history, only behind Andrew Luck. So in one year, he had – to say he had a really good season with the Colts, trying to end it off on a high note. Yeah, these are one of the sad ones where kind of growing up, these are one of the quarterbacks you just watched and, and we're starting to kind of creep towards the end of that, whether that be Eli, Peyton, Phillip Rivers now, a guy we'll talk about here in just a second. But for Phillip Rivers, I think he is a Hall of Famer. And I think a lot of that has to do with his durability and just kind of his long-term success. He, he would have a, a year about every uh, four or five years, we'd kind of be in a slump, but then that next year, he'd be kind of right back into the MVP candidate. He, in the past couple of years, he was never really into that, mostly because of his team. You're, you're just not going to win an MVP where, where you win five or six games. And he was kind of in one of those tough situations for the Chargers where they were constantly wanting to go to LA. You're constantly battling that, trying to get fans out to San Diego to come watch you. 
And then when you do move to LA, you're playing at a soccer field and, and kind of the, the hype and stuff just really wasn't there. But for Phillip, he's one of the funner, uh, more enjoyable quarterbacks to watch just because he's going to leave it all out there. And whether that be a pick six or a, an 80 yard touchdown pass, he was going to do his best at it. And he's kind of one of those guys you just enjoy watching and we're going to miss watching him. And ultimately he's going to do what he loves doing. And that's still kind of staying involved in the football game, as Gabe mentioned, whether that being a coach or a commentator, I think he'd be brilliant as a commentator, just because when you hear some of those mic'd up films of him, the most cleanest trash talker there is, I, I think is brilliant for me. He, he might he, he slipped up a couple times though, Patton, on, on the mic up. So he don't get me wrong, that's that's one thing about Philip Rivers. He will trash talk you. That's that was one thing a lot of players will remember him as a trash talker, but it was fun. It was a fun trash talk. It wasn't no trash talking to where you're, you're trying to fight them. You're trying to put them down for good. It was a laughter afterwards. And, and this year for the Colts, I thought this season was his chance. And you kind of you kind of saw that after they did end up losing against Buffalo because that that uh, that Colts defense was the best in the NFL. They, they just had every piece that you wanted. But ultimately, they couldn't get that one last drive and that one last touchdown to move on. And they played the Bills better than what the Ravens did, a, a team we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But for, for Phillip, it's an end of an era and end of one of those quarterbacks that we won't get to see again. But to me, I, I think there's going to be a more of life for Phillip after football. He's just a guy who seems to enjoy life, uh, enjoys his family in more ways than one. And then really, we'll, we'll miss seeing him out there on the field, but he's going to enjoy doing what he does best, and that's spending time with, the, with his love, loved ones. Indeed. Um, other retirements, I believe Frank Gore, um, is he retiring this this year? If not, he should be. He's amazing, but golly, those legs can only go for so long. Um, Frank Gore, as well as Alex Smith, um, I'm not sure if he has uh, mentioned retirement, but I, I think that he should. I'm terrified every time I see him out there. If he's getting hit, if anybody's near his leg, please, paperclip legs. Go go home. We we love you. We care about your health. Go home. And also another guy, a great quarterback, Drew Brees. I think that he's done. I think that he should also go sit down, go be a commentator, go do something else. Um, as far as his career with the Saints, I think that it's done. I mean, he could possibly be a quarterback for another team, but after, as we've seen, yeah. after week seven, noodle arm. Right? He, he's done. So uh, those three guys, I think, should retire. I mean, obviously, you're making millions to do what you love, but good luck. Drew Brees, uh, they believe he is. That that was his final game. Uh, we can yeah. we'll talk about it more later on in just a moment. But uh, his wife uh, said rotator cuff, eleven broken ribs, collapsed lung. Yeah, it's that that list was pretty long. So. I think I think the wife is telling them, "Hey, go ahead and put those cleats up. It's, it's about that time." Uh, and then also, he, he got that contract for NBC. So I think I think we're gonna be seeing Drew Brees on, on camera a little bit more uh, with his analysis, if you will. And I think you could really just tell from his emotions on the sideline after he threw that interception. He kind of just knew maybe maybe this is time, and I. And I think that's one thing I don't like seeing. We see this a lot with uh, fighters in the UFC where they get that one last fight and ultimately it leaves that bad taste in your mouth where 
that's the last thing you remember. And I think that's the last thing we want to see from Drew Brees. He didn't have a terrible year this year, but just in terms of his standards, it wasn't usually what we normally see. And that's kind of was pretty evident in the offense that they ran because most of his completions were just drop-off passes to Alvin Kamara. So for me, I would look for the Saints to move in a different direction. We'll talk about that a little bit more. For Frank Gore, I saw an article. He's going to look at, look to give it another go with, with a contender this year. Whether <laughs> whether that ends up happening or not, I'm not sure. I, I'm with you, Gabe. I feel like I played with Frank Gore in Madden 2000, and, and here we are in Madden, 20, <laughs> in Madden 21. But uh, some guys that you uh, would like to see step away, I think for Alex Smith, that's another name I think we'll see uh, possibly uh, being the end of here in, in a month or two. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, that's our old folks segment. segment. Um, <laughs> moving on. Wait, wait, you can't say old folks segment because – you can't say the old folks statement because, you know, uh, we got some old folks still, right. still playing right now. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, this is, uh, well, should I say decrepit? I didn't want to get disrespectful. These guys need to say retirement home. home. They, <laughs> our, our retirement home segment here. We're <laughs> <laughs> oh, moving on to, our, um, to some reviews of the games on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, do we want to start with the – we'll start with the, the Ravens-Bills game because I feel like Patton, Patton got some animosity. I mean, we, we have our names up on our phones. Uh, Patton, can you, can you explain to the listeners what, what if you've come in under the pseudonym? What pseudonym are you using right now? Well, well, definitely no bitterness for me. It's not like you knocked my team out of the playoffs last week, but uh, my fr- my name is LaFraud Jackson. And to me, I think we saw again Lamar in the playoffs. I know uh, Marcus here is going to have some stats that he'd like to bring up, but for me, I just think this is more the same from Lamar. And I thought what the Bills did often or defensively in that game was exactly what the Titans showed in their game last week. And I thought, if it wasn't for that Ravens defense and what they did to the Titans, I don't want to talk too much about them, but I think we'd be having a different talk. However, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Buffalo because I, I will rebuttal what Marcus will say here in a few minutes. Great for Bill's Mafia. Great for them. Happy for them. And I think right now Josh Allen and the Stefan Diggs element is one of the more interesting aspects that I've ever seen because this is their first year together. And this is really, you would think they've been playing for 15 years together, like Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers over there on the other side. But for those two, they just seem to have a connection that you just wouldn't see in first year quarterback and wide receiver, but they've done exactly that. I thought the offense was pretty, um, pretty balanced. I thought they ran the ball. Okay. With David Singletary Uh, Moss also got in there at the running back position. But for me, the Bills and that home field advantage that you had, you couldn't tell me there wasn't 60,000 people in that stadium because it was uh, pretty darn loud over there. And for Buffalo, they've got a real shot. They played well in the football game. I thought they didn't really make a mistake in the game. And defensively, the game plan worked to perfection. And now they got to study up for a little bit of a different uh, offense here and uh, on Sunday. My viewpoints on the game was, uh, for one, I thought the Ravens defense actually did a really great job. You only gave up 10 points to that high-powered Bills offense. Like Everybody see that score is 17-3. The Ravens defense only gave up 10 points. That's pretty good when the Bills have been scoring 20, 28-plus. Uh, but once again, like the Chiefs, the Chiefs will have a tough time with 
uh, this Bills high-powered passing offense. Uh, one thing about me with this game, because he brought up LaFrod Jackson, uh, the passing game wasn't there. Uh, it just wasn't there. And I'm not going to be – I'm not fully on Steve Smith's side calling the passing offense elementary. Uh, but – it, I, I don't. I need. It, I will say that it needs to be a little bit more complex. Even though, yes, you have Marquise Brown, but but before coming into this game, Marquise Brown had a reception touchdown for the past six weeks. He had a hundred yards receiving last week, and then this week, it seemed like it was almost nothing. The Bills' defense is a good defense. We will. We will point that out but they're they also play everything what they're gonna do this week upcoming week against the Chiefs they're gonna force everything underneath last week they they was stopping everything underneath because we all know that's the Ravens offense I know Shannon Sharp said Mark Andrews has three routes and I know Pat knows those three routes as well and also on that pick six Johnson a DB he was playing middleman because you want to know why Two receivers ran the same route. Lamar Jackson was looking at Mark Andrews, but even if he was looking at that slot receiver, that was going to be a pick six either way. Why does your offensive coordinator have two receivers running the same route on the same side of the field? Please answer me that question. Well, I'll say this. Uh, If I'm the offensive coordinator, I'm not wanting my quarterback staring down your favorite tight end in the red zone. He was staring him down that entire play. He didn't look right or left. He looked straight down the middle, stared him down. And ultimately, Greg Roman, he's not telling him to throw the pass when he's thrown into a triple team coverage. And that's exactly what Lamar did. He panicked. He threw it into the double team. And that's ultimately what loses loses you the football game. I, I have some sympathy for him. Sure. It is the offense the most exotic thing, the most uh, beautiful passing routes you can do. But ultimately, I think a lot of that has to do with Greg Roman doesn't think that he can handle what, what uh, Aaron Rodgers would do. And I, I don't think that's unfair on Lamar at all. That's just not his skill set. And I think you do what he does well, and that's running the football better than any quarterback the NFL has ever seen. He's the best athlete to play the quarterback position. And I say that all with uh, huge praise for Lamar. But I, I think Lamar's getting a little bit of a, a pass from guys like Steve Smith, who just doesn't want to call it like it is. I, I think Lamar struggled once again in this game. He struggled passing the ball. Of, of course, the conditions in this game weren't great. The wind was swirling uh, in that Buffalo weather, and it wasn't great passing conditions. But for me, I think Greg Roman, should he share some blame? Sure. But I, I think the, the blame should go more on the side of Lamar Jackson. He made that fatal error that ended up losing his team the game. If they kick a field goal in that game, they're still in a one-possession game. Instead, he tries to thread the window into a double team and ultimately stare down his tight end, his favorite weapon, and he paid for it and ultimately loses his team the football game. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> we all want to hit on the Ravens, Packers, or the Chiefs. Um, Browns, because I want to get into the Bucks Saints. Let's do Bucks Saints. Let's go ahead. Bucks Saints, let's do it. All right. So the Super Bowl, the Soup Bowl between Brady and Breeze. Of course, we already hit on Breeze a little bit. His performance was lackluster. 
um, got to a point in the game where you could just smell the interceptions coming. You're sitting there watching. You're like, oh, he's about to throw an interception. Oh, here's another one. Um, as far as Brady's performance goes, he did what he needed to do to win the game. He didn't have just this all-spectacular, all-time great performance, but his defense put on the show. They basically forced Drew Brees to throw the ball deep. He couldn't do that, as we all know, so they kept everything in front. And then with Drew Brees turning the ball over, it was pretty much easy picking for the final score, 30-20. to 20. Marcus, I'm coming to you first. I've been telling you all year, man, the Saints is the Saints hey. when they come to the playoffs. They are done in the playoffs. I Why would say, you dare bet against the GOAT? One thing I will say was I didn't anticipate him. I didn't know that Drew Brees had a torn rotator cuff. That that um, does a lot to a throwing arm, <laughs> I will say. <laughs> but one thing also was the mistakes, those interceptions. It, it's hard. It's hard to win a football game when your opposing side's field position was almost at your own 40-yard line, it seemed like, or your 45-yard line for multiple possessions when they were averaging out on almost midfield. It's hard to stop Tom Brady, let alone the GOAT, when he's getting great field position almost every drive. It wasn't, it, it wasn't like we said, like you just said, it wasn't a spectacular performance by Tom Brady. He just needed to get – he saw all those turnovers and said, okay, I'm going to take my time. We're going to put up points. And if our defense keeps holding up, we got it. We we on to the next next game, on the Lambo, And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, in this game, I thought the Bucks defense really took over. And you had a guy in Devin White coming back from COVID. And I don't know if COVID gave him some special superpowers because in the passing game, that's the best I've seen from him all year. Usually – the run defense is really where he starts to eat, but he was doing that. But as well in the passing game, he's doing great. He's doing a great job on Jared Cook on multiple occasions, kind of breaking up passes, and then ultimately got that dagger interception to really seal the deal for him and gave a, a, a mean stiff arm to a, a to a wide receiver for the Saints. In terms of that Buccaneers offense, in the blowout earlier in the season, they really got away from their game plan. And ultimately for Bruce Arians, this is a guy that he really likes to run the football. And, and if he can help it, he he would have Tom Brady throw about 10 passes. And in this game, they didn't they didn't run all over the Saints by any stretch, but you had Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette really take turns on putting a beating on that Saints defense in the second half and really started to wear down on him. And in terms of Tom Brady, I like the word that Gabe used. He did exactly what he needed to do. He didn't need to force anything. He, he had a couple passes where he kind of got away with a, an, an interception or two from Marshawn Lattimore to be specific. But I think the, the main jump out to me was uh, Scotty Miller. He had that little, uh, that, um, I don't know how you want to call it, the kind of stop and go route on the right side. And he fooled Marshawn Lattimore uh, back to, back to Ohio State. And I thought for Scotty Miller, he came in for the injured Antonio Brown. AB will not be playing next week. And I think earlier in the season, you saw Tom really trust Scotty Miller in some of the biggest moments. And that was probably the biggest moment offensively to kind of continue on a really important drive and ultimately get into the end zone. For the Buccaneers, this is a tough team to stop if you've got that defense rolling the way it is. They've got a big piece coming back we'll talk about here uh, in their game against the Packers. This is a team playing their best football right now, uh, a hot football team. And for the Saints, they're kind of limping their way into the postseason and ultimately got caught on one of Drew Brees' worst games in his career. 
Indeed, and we have seen this from Drew Brees, not to pile on to the Saints. I'm sorry, Saints fans. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but we've just seen this in the latter um, weeks of the season. Drew Brees' arm just becomes like a noodle past about week seven. Um, and also the Saints are cursed in the playoffs. So we, I, I bet against them against the Bears. So that should tell you how I feel about the Saints. Uh, their defense actually – Pretty much stood up, but as we market said, the Bucks were just getting it on a short field. Um, the Bucks were also running the ball. Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, those guys combined for I think more. They combined for more yards than Drew Brees had passing. So it, it wasn't wasn't a recipe for success uh, for the Saints as well as Michael Thomas. Uh, kudos to him for trying to come back and trying to win with Drew Brees um, in what will probably be his last game as a Saint, but a big old goose egg in the game. No receptions, no yards. No, he might as well have not been out there. Um, but that's just how the dice roll. Um, but moving on he also, into – He also he also was dealing with injuries as well. He was supposed to Indeed. be out for the year. So, yeah. that's another thing. Like, the guys was just battling injuries who should have been not playing at all. But, I mean, it is what it is. It's the NFL. Everybody, everybody is dealing with something. You just got to make it happen. Um, and luckily right. for the Bucks, they were the team that was streaking coming into the playoffs. And that's that's always best, in my opinion. Whenever you're getting hot going into the playoffs versus being hot like, I don't know, the Steelers, being an 11-0 team and then just stinking it up at the end of the season. So um, moving on into uh, the games for this week, the two championship games. Y'all want to hit NFC or y'all want to hit AFC first? Let's hit AFC because uh, Patty Mahone scared scared half of uh, football with that concussion. But well, he is going to be back, though. He will be back. Yes, he – there is no – well, there is a question whether he'll play because usually whenever guys deal with um, concussion protocol – they usually don't play the next week, but this is the playoffs, baby. I think he'll be able to play. What's up? One thing, too, is that it wasn't a hit on his neck, like on his head specifically. It was more like a ring around the neck. So a lot of guys were saying that it was more like he got choked out kind of moment. That's why he stumbled because they said he was trying to play literally in the game, like that game. But you know how – concussion protocol is that everybody was going to be looking crazy if we saw him come back into that game knowing that he was supposed to be going through concussion protocol and he went back to the locker room so like everybody every football fan knows once a guy goes to the locker room for concussion protocol very high chance he's not coming out to play but they say he passed everything so oh heck yeah right on all right well good i'm glad my uh my bets for Kansas City to make the Super Bowl are still alive. Let's go. Um, in the game on Sunday, yes, he did get injured. But luckily, thank you, Marcus, for delivering the good news, the gospel, that uh, <laughs> young Pat Mahomes would be back and we don't have to deal with the Henny God on Sunday. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, but, yes, in this game against the Bills, a lot of talk from a lot of guys. People are crowning um, Aaron Rodgers as the MVP, but a lot of people said in second place should have been Josh Allen. 
Now, a lot of people are saying, just talking this smack, saying that Josh Allen can do basically everything that Pat Mahomes can do. Yes, he has a huge arm. Him rolling right, he can make some immaculate passes. But I do not think that he is Patrick Mahomes. And for that, I think that the Chiefs win this game. Pat Mahomes with weapons, with a serviceable defense. I think that they'll get the win over the Bills. Patton, am I, am I wrong here? Do you think Josh Allen fully healthy with this Bills Mafia defense? Well, the Bills Mafia in the crowd, but this defense, um, do you think that the Bills will get this win? I don't think you can go wrong picking either team because I think without a doubt, these are the two best teams in the AFC and the playoffs kind of showed us that. And I thought they showed what they can do against a Colts defense and then against that Ravens defense. Now for the Chiefs defense, it's not as good as those other two, but in terms of years past, this is what, without a doubt one of their better defenses that they've ever, ever had, and that's led by Tyrain Matthew. He's on a bit of a, a mean streak right now after his game against Cleveland last week. But in this game, I'm going to tend to go with you as well. I think for the Chiefs right now, they've got too many weapons for the Bills to stop. You've got Le'Veon Bell coming off the sideline, replacing a, a possible Clyde edwards helaire I think he's trying to get back this week. Let's see if he can end up doing that, whether or not. And in that wide receiver core, it's the same sort of stuff. It's Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, uh, numerous other, uh, Michael Hardman uh, in that slot receiver. And then you've got the best tight end in football and possibly the best uh, receiving tight end in NFL history, history, Travis Kelsey. And I thought, Whenever Mahomes came out of the game, he was the one guy who consistently got open for uh, Chad Henney, who uh, played, I thought, about as well as you could getting up, picking up, or close to picking up that big fourth down against Cleveland. But here, this week, you're going to have your main guy in patching Mahomes back. You've got to feel good. You're going to have a have. You're going to have another home game. You're going to have the uh, the Chiefs faithful in the stands. I'm sure there are going to be a few Bills fans scalping some tickets in Kansas City, but. For me, I think the defense is good enough for Kansas City to get by in the offense. It'll be big to see how well Patrick Mahomes can play because I don't think he's going to be at 100%. There's just no way he's going to be at 100% just less than a week after his pretty scary injury. I will say uh, a matchup that you want to see is how the Bills defense defend these guys because they're going to go that too high safety and they're going to edge and force one both actually both sides both defenses are going to want their opponent to run the football because that's something that they haven't been doing both guys Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes they can drop back and throw it for 50 times and win a ball game that's perfectly fine with them now the thing is which running offense will propel them to a victory you got Le'Veon Bell if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like Patton said, will be able to play, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is another guy to watch out for. I, I, I will lend more towards those guys than Devin Singletary, who, who was struggling quite a bit throughout this year. And then Zach Moss, I think he's he, in, he, he was injured two weeks ago. I know he had surgery last week. So I don't know if it's a guarantee that he's going to play uh, this upcoming Sunday, but I agree with both of you guys. I'm going to side with the Chiefs, but get, don't get it twisted. If Chad Henney comes into that ball game for longer than two quarters, uh, I don't know. Uh, Josh Allen and the Bills might be getting into the Super Bowl. Or the Patrick Mahomes, you can't. That's that's one guy I, I don't want to bet. Like like Gabe is 
he be, he don't want to bet against Tom Brady. Uh, I don't know if I want to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Man, I don't want to bet against him either. Uh, my predictions coming into the playoffs were Chiefs, Bucks, and I guess I would go with Brady. But I, I mean, I, whew, it, it's hard. It's hard to bet against either one of those guys. But I do think with full well with a on the field Pat Mahomes, I think they'll have enough to beat these Bills. Um, moving into the NFC side, uh, Packers, Bucks. Um, Packers got that high-powered offense. Bucks, their defense shows up one week, might not show up the next week. Guys, which which Bucks defense are we going to get? Marcus, are we going to get the good Bucks defense or are we going to get the non-existent Bucks defense? Uh, I think last week it was – a lot of gimme turnovers. I think Drew Brees was giving a lot, giving away a lot of turnovers. And we know with Aaron Rodgers, one thing I want to point out: the October game will be look is don't if you see that October game, do not anticipate that happening on Sunday. Tampa Bay destroyed, and I will say annihilated the Packers thirty-eight to ten in October. And since then. Because they did a lot of zone blitzes and whatnot. Since then, the Packers have not given up a sack on the blitz. And that's something that the Bucks like to do. I think this time differently, and also it's in Lambeau as well. I want to side with Aaron Rodgers. And I think, you know what, because that was my that was my two teams coming in to the playoffs. So I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna say Chiefs, Packers. And I'm a bet against Tom Brady once again. If he proves me wrong, he just proves me wrong. I know Gabe's shaking his head on it, but hey, sometimes the old man, Father Tom, Father Tom got to hit sometime. And I'm hoping that it's going to be this week. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't need, yeah. I don't need, he, Tom Brady has been acting like Mission Impossible and uh, just Mr. Invincible or however you want to say it. Because this dude is 42, keep playing like, like he's still 35 and it don't make sense. I would be shocked if we see that October outcome like we do this week. I agree. And uh, an aspect that they didn't have last time out, Lambeau had a ton of fans in the game that they had last week against the LA Rams. And I thought that made quite a bit of difference. I don't know uh, how, how many they'll have in this week, but I think it's going to be the same sort of number. And and fans make a difference. It's shown for most of these home games. Most of the time, the home team ends up coming out with a victory. Now for this game, the Bucs have got a big guy coming back. They've got Vita Vea coming back. Their uh, f- first-round pick that they had a couple years back and early in the season, him and, 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 and Dominican Sue were wreaking havoc on offensive linemen, and I think they're going to have some real issues this week against this Packers offensive line. Of course, they don't have their star left tackle. He was out with a uh, ACL Bakhtiari, I think is how you pronounce his name. So it's a bit of a makeshift, makeshift offensive line. And for Aaron Rodgers, he's kind of been doing his best what? work if he can. They did do a really good job against the Rams now. They Rams front four. Yeah, and, and so, I don't think Aaron Donald was exactly healthy in that game. So I, I, I take a, a bit bits and pieces of that. But I agree. I think in terms of what they did in that game is hopeful. 
but I think there's a different animal. I think that front seven that the Bucks have is different than any defense that they have played because right now you've got Jason Pierre-Paul and you've also got those other speed rushers on the outside with Levante David and uh, Devin White blitzing from their linebacker spots. I think this is going to be tough for Aaron Rodgers, although he did, he's, he is also going to learn some stuff from that first matchup. I think that uh, Todd Bowles is going to throw some different stuff at him. I, I like him as a defensive coordinator coach, not the best head coach, if you will, of course, with the uh, with the Jets. But in terms of a defensive guy, he's been great for him. I like the Bucks in here, but I, I just have a hard time picking against Aaron Rodgers. With all that being said, I think they're going to do just enough. Devontae Adams has shown that he cannot be covered by any corner in the NFL. They threw the best they could at him with Jalen Ramsey. They doubled him pretty much, and a lot of times that wasn't enough. Of course, you saw the Titans game. They were triple teaming him, and it didn't matter. So Devontae, he's in a he's in a bit of a, another mode, another level than any other wide receiver. I think that will end up being enough. I don't see Tom Brady being able to keep up because that Packers defense is no slouch either with the Preston brothers coming off uh, or the Smith brothers coming off the edge. It's a different animal. And I, I see Tom Brady struggling this one. This is a young Bucks team and they're not going to know what to do against an Aaron Rodgers team where you're gonna, pretty much going to have to score about eight out of 10 times every time on, on the possession. Well, we'll ride this right about, in the uh, Zaire um, Alexander. Yeah, he's great. Uh, we'll ride this right into Buck the Lions' current scoring. Mark is still in the lead, 61. Patton, after a perfect week, gets 57 points. And I at 55, but I'm, I'm right at it, boys. I'm right at it. Double the points. Uh, so, yeah, we'll get your Packers, Packers Bucks. Uh, Patton, you got Packers by what? I'm going to go Packers by four in this one. I think it'll be close. I think Brady does just enough, but ultimately I see a game-winning drive by Aaron Rodgers. Marcus? I'm going – I'm signing with the Packers as well. Uh, I'm going to say Packers by three. Late field goal for the win. And uh, if there was any other quarterback in that Bucks jersey, I'd go with the Packers, but sorry, I can't bet against my guy, Tom Brady. I'm going with the Bucks. I'll go with the Bucks by – Six. Uh, Chiefs, Bills, uh, Patton, who you got? I'm going to go with the Chiefs, and I think Patrick Mahomes will play the entirety of this game, so I see them winning by six in this one. Marcus? I'm going to go Chiefs by four. Uh, Chiefs by four, and whatever the line is, I will take under, so it's probably by, I don't know, maybe a touchdown. I'm going to go with the Chiefs by three. All right. Well, that's all that we have here on this episode. We appreciate everybody listening. And uh, if y'all got any comments, uh, feedback, feel free to hit up any one of us on Twitter or Snapchat. If you're friends with us, Instagram, any, anyway. But we appreciate anybody and everybody listening. This is another episode of the JTS podcast. And we want to say you have a blessing.